welcome to episode 624 of The Sleeper in the Bust. It is Wednesday, January 2nd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, flying solo for the first time this year. In fact, this is the first pod of the year. So it's only the second day. I guess it's not terribly surprising that it would be my first uh, solo and uh, pod at large. You know, sometimes I have that little pause right before I say the day because I have to kind of remember what day it is. Uh, I did this one in three takes. I said the day wrong three different times. So I got it though. Uh, for those of you that can maybe kind of hear faintly my space heater in the background, I apologize. It's freezing here, literally freezing. And if you know me, you know I really don't take well to the cold. So when it's actually freezing and not spore freezing, which is like anything below 70, uh, it can be brutal. So you might hear a little whirring in the background of that, and I do apologize. But uh, hopefully it doesn't detract from the 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 content at hand. Which what we're talking about today. It's the best pitches of 2018. I got a couple things set up here uh, for how I want to organize this, and uh, hopefully this is exciting. I, I, I think it'll be worth talking about. You know, it's not something that is guaranteed to carry over year to year, but I do think there's some interesting stuff behind it, and uh, hopefully you guys find it interesting as well. I use not only the pitch values on our website, but also, uh, you may have heard Nick Pollock either on this podcast when we do the fireside chats or on his own podcast talk about something called money pitches. And he's kind of come up with a baseline on that. I think he's actually adjusting it. So that's interesting because uh, I made a few adjustments myself. Basically, he has a threshold on the chase rate, swinging strike rate, and zone rate of a pitch to make it qualify for being a money pitch. Now, I think one of the things that we we both realized right away, and and this is where he's going to make the changes, is that it doesn't apply universally to pitches, particularly off-speed versus uh, fastballs. So that's where the biggest change has to come, I think, and that's where I made some alterations. And he may make some alterations on off-speed pitches. For now, I went with his baseline thoughts on off-speed pitches and then made alterations to fastballs. And what those... those, uh, adjustments are what those thresholds are rather is for fastballs i gave a minimum of 1000 thrown and you have to have a 30 percent chase rate so that swings outside the zone 13 percent swinging strike rate and a 50 percent zone rating so the, the basis behind it and why nick believes it's a money pitch is because if you can throw it in the zone and and get strikes and get outs and also get chases out of the zone, that's a very versatile pitch. That's what makes it money, something that you can use um, at any time, really. If you're only throwing, you know, uh, like a spike curve that you can only throw out of the zone for, for strikes, it can be great uh, to get those whiffs to, to be a finishing pitch, but it might not necessarily be a money pitch because you can't bring it into the zone. You're not really going to uh, be able to rely on it at all times if the if if the opposition is laying off of it it might not be so good so um, we got 30 13 50 for fastballs and sinkers and a minimum of 300 thrown on off-speed pitches with a 40 percent chase rate 15 percent swinging strike rate and 40 percent zone rate again i'm also going to use pitch values and kind of talk about the top 10 there as well we're not obviously going to dive deep into every one of the top 10 i'll kind of list them and then point out some of the interesting stuff so let's just go ahead and get started let's see how this works i'm very interested in feedback on this i've never done anything quite like this and uh, so i hope you guys enjoyed i wasn't sure if it was a better fit for a podcast or an article but i went ahead and went with podcast so let's start with fastballs and start with the pitch value the top 10 are Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, both tied at 30.2. 
Garrett Cole, 29.9. Jacob deGrom, 23.9. No surprises so far. Zach Wheeler, 23.8. That was big, uh, big fuel behind his breakout season. Trevor Williams, 21.3. So as you can see here, you don't always need a high-velocity fastball to have one that works well. Kyle Freeland, 18.5. Aaron Nola, 17.8. Big surprise here. Brad Keller, 17.7. And David Price, 16.3. Now, this does not have the same pitches thrown threshold. I think I went with... Hang on. I'm sorry. I should have remembered what the innings threshold I had for the pitch value numbers was. Honestly, I can just look at Brad Keller, and I think that'll give us an idea. He had 141 innings. Actually, he had more than I thought. I think I might have gone with, with 100 innings. I think that sounds about right. In fact, I, let me do a quick run here. I can just go to pitch value, run it by 100 minimum, and see if those same guys turn up. And if they do, I think we're on the right track here. Bing. There we go. And since it's a cumulative stat, um, I think that's why relievers don't show up. Well, no, because of the 100-inning <laughs> in threshold. That's why relievers don't show up. I, I was really focused on starters here um, on purpose. So uh, maybe if you guys will like this a lot and want something for relievers, I, I can think about doing that. But uh, this was, this was starter-focused. So, yeah, like I said, I think the interesting ones that jump out really come after those top five. Those top five were some of the greatest fastballs in the game that we kind of knew about with Scherzer, J.V., Cole, DeGrom, and Wheeler. But then you get Trevor Williams, Kyle Freeland, um, and then Nola, and then Brad Keller there. So those three, and they kind of do, do things differently, right? Brad Keller has that, uh, and, and for fastball pitch values on our website, I believe it also does factor in two seamers and sinkers. So it's just... Uh, you know, whatever your heater is, even if it's uh, fastball sinkers and two seamers all put together. And he has that great ground ball rate uh, that runs up at 54%. And that's what really fostered a lot of his success toward a 308 ERA despite a 130 whip and pretty modest 8% uh, strikeout minus walk rate. So that fastball, that sinker was really uh, doing a lot of damage for him and carried him through those 140 innings. Trevor Williams, I wrote about Trevor Williams in the midst of his amazing, uh, you know, star turn there. I'm, not, I'm reluctant to say breakout because I don't even know that it's necessarily a breakout uh, in that I don't think that it's really going to sustain. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just I think there's a thing where you can acknowledge that somebody who's who's out of his mind like that is pitching well and in and also influencing it, but it's not necessarily sustainable. I think there's a difference between lucky and unsustainable. And maybe there's a mix of both, right? Maybe it's a fact that he was getting some good luck to go with it. Um, but there's also just an unsustainability to it that I have to push back on, at least in terms of the amazing level that Trevor Williams was pitching at. I do believe, and I wrote this in the article, that he's a perfectly fine uh, low fours ERA kind of guy. That's a fourth, fifth starter in the majors. You're going to get some money out of that. You can put together a, a decade-long career doing that. Well, he had like a 170 ERA in the second half. It was absolutely disgusting. But the fastball was really carrying that, and he was keeping the ball in the yard. Uh, he was keeping it down pretty well, although not, not a heavy ground ball guy, inducing both weak and medium contact. I think too often when we look at the batted ball stuff, we look at only hard and soft, just the extremes. But a lot of medium contact is very playable contact. 
and if you are getting it to go to your fielders too and it's not going right through the gaps or uh, you know firm but soft line drives just over the head of your your infielders that go in for hits then that can be very successful too and I think we saw a lot of that with Trevor Williams uh, en route to that 21.3 pitch value for his fastball and then Kyle Freeland I think is somebody who definitely succeeds off of command and control and that is even with an 8% walk rate, I, I, I will stress that. And I do believe that control is part of his makeup as well. As well, command for sure, but also control. Because I think part of the 8% uh, walk rate is purposeful in that he doesn't want to give in and just give somebody something to hit when he's in a hitter's count that may turn into an extra base hit as opposed to a walk and then clean slate for the next guy. Now, that's something that you kind of glean while you're watching, but I think he's routinely dismissed off the top. Just, oh, you know, 8% walk rate, that's not very good. 21% strikeout rate, that's barely above average or maybe even average these days. Um, and I'm not saying that a 285 ERA for Kyle Freeland is sustainable, but I am saying that that his his command and control profile, the way it works, has has viability to it. And even if you just kind of look at the 367 FIP and you kind of want to work from there, I'm completely fine with that because I think even with Coors, he can effectively pitch um, home and away and be a quality mid-rotation fantasy starter. And I, th- I do think part of growing up in Denver has helped Freeland uh, not be so, uh, you know, overwhelmed by pitching in Coors Field with for half of his games. Now, sometimes it doesn't matter what you got or how good you are, that field's going to beat you because it has that remarkably spacious outfield and, of course, the thin air sending some of the balls over the over the yard, but the, or over the fence, rather. But the real key is that spacious outfield that allows so many hits to fall in. I'm eager to see if they do anything with their outfield defense that can help their pitchers a little bit more because for the first time in a long time, or ever, I'm going to say ever, the Rockies are sustained by their pitching. And we've just never seen anything like that. And uh, Herman Marquez and, and Kyle Freeland are two key aspects there. We'll see if John Gray can join them and give them a nice three-headed monster. And then, like I said, David Price brings up the rear. Walker Bueller just missed. I love, you know, he and Zach Wheeler. Obviously, Zach Wheeler did make the cut at 23-8. And then Bueller right there. I love young guys that are sustained off their fastball. Uh, an amazing fastball can take you so far. And if you have a great fastball that's going to be there for you through, you know, 22-23 out of 30 starts, you're going to have it most days that's really going to give you a high floor and a strong foundation to work on. So it was nice to see those guys have success. Now let's talk about some uh, money pitch fastballs. And there weren't very many. In fact, there were only four. uh, Two guys that we talked about with the pitch value, Jacob deGrom and Justin Verlander. deGrom had a 35% chase, 15% swinging strike, and 54% zone. So you can bring it in the zone, also get you to go fishing for it, and get a lot of whiffs. Justin Verlander was at 31-16-60, so he brought it in the zone even more, and of course he works that high heat. I mean, I've been talking about Justin Verlander's high heat now for years. I believe it was the the impetus for his return to prominence, and he's only embraced it more and really gotten attention for it in Houston, but it was going long before that. This is not something that Houston, um, you know, put together for him or or put him down the path of doing he was doing this to get back on track in Detroit and we were talking about it on this pod for quite a while Um, then there's Chris Sale at 32% chase 15% swinging strike and 53% zone and Walker Bueller 
the aforementioned. Just missed on the pitch value, but he was at 31-13-54. And uh, how many innings did he have last year? I imagine that that's why he didn't make the pitch value chart because it is a cumulative stat. And you can – that doesn't mean that you can't get there with a – you know, 137 inning count, which Brad Keller was at 140 and he made it. But obviously it puts a bigger onus on you when you are, you know, seeding six, seven starts to the other guys that are at the top of that list with their beastly fastballs. But that's just another reason to love Bueller is that he works with such an amazing fastball. And uh, I think that that's really going to carry him here. And, And there are fair concerns for a sophomore slump, but I am really excited about what, what he's going to be able to do. And I don't think that while he may not meet his draft value because it's going to be so high, I would be really surprised if he was uh, r- routinely trounced or, or, or really had an off year that not only made it, um, you know, a, a pick that didn't return value, but made Walker Buehler a bad pick. I'd be really surprised to see that. All right, let's move on to the next pitch, which I have as slider. So going by pitch value, we've got, this one won't surprise anybody, Patrick Corbin leading the charge at 27.0. Yulis Chassin at 24.5. If you're aware of Chassin and you've watched him pitch, that probably won't surprise you because, you know, he had such a good season. You're wondering, well, Chassin, like, what does he do to deserve such a good season? And, well, there it is. It's the fact that that he has that pitch that kind of carries him and was able to uh, foster such a fantastic season out of him and really help the Brewers there because it was an unexpected uh, great performance for Yuli Shasin. And so it was led by his slider. Miles Michaelis, 23.7. Mike Fultonevich really took the next level there at 22.9. Chris Sale at 19.0. Now, he didn't make the fastball pitch list, uh, pitch value, but he did make the money pitch and he paired it with a 19.1 slider that uh, reaches our pitch value here at five. And he's going to be on the list here again with another pitch in a moment. Uh, Matt Boyd, 17.7. Jaime Berea, 17.2. Clayton Kershaw still with a great slider at 16.2. Masahiro Tanaka, 16.1. And very unsurprisingly, Jacob deGrom checks in with his second top 10 pitch value at 15.9 with his slider. And, uh, you know, the surprises aren't a surprise if you watch these guys. Like uh, maybe Shasin, like I said, might surprise you. Michaelis, uh, Fulty, if you didn't have him on your team and you didn't really get into his breakout, you might be like, oh, you know, is it his big heater or whatever? Is it his uh, curveball? No, it was the slider going next level and becoming such a reliable pitch for him. Matthew Boyd, I would not blame you if you did not follow his breakout with the Tigers. It was it, it had ebbs and flows, but overall that ended up being a, a strong season. His slider really carried him. Jaime Berea, same sort of deal where it was a little bit hidden out there in L.A., but if you had him on your fantasy team, you might have been inclined to watch him, and you see that slider really carry him, especially when he got to it regularly because the fastball wasn't that good. The slider was able to carry Berea into some uh, very quality starts. Kershaw, Tanaka, neither of those particularly surprising. Same with DeGrom. Now let's go to the slider money pitches, and there are actually several here. And by the way, there's so many more than there are for curves that I'll be interested to see if um, I'll be interested to see if if Nick 
makes alterations to curves and splitters on the thresholds to kind of balance it a little bit. There are 10 slider money pitches while there are only three curveballs. And I imagine part of it is that curveballs, you're just not going to have a high zone rate because you're just not going to bring them into the zone that much. You don't want to put a bunch of hanging curves in the zone. So I think he'll make alterations there that, that uh, they can still be money pitch with, say, you know, 35 or 30% zone rate, whatever the case may be. But I'm eager to hear his thoughts there. And uh, I'll, I'll bring this stuff up to him on the next fireside for sure. But let's talk about these sliders that are money pitches. Again, the thresholds are 40 chase, 40% chase, 15% swinging strike rate, and 40% zone. 40, 15, 40. And we'll start with Max Scherzer. He's at 48, 26. Gross. And 57% zone. And, I mean, obviously we all know that, that his slider is absolutely devastating. He just missed the cut uh, on the pitch value at 10.7. He was uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 slots away. So maybe just missed the cut, stretches it a little bit. But he's, he's, he's in, he's in uh, you know, earshot of it. He's, he's within a stone's throw, if you will. But uh, definitely a money pitch, definitely a beastly offering that uh, the opposition has a lot of difficulty dealing with. Shane Bieber. Uh, an interesting pick for 2019 that folks are already kind of moving up their draft board. This pitch really works for him at 44%, 27%, and 54% zone. Now, 27% swing strike rate on Bieber's slider is higher than Scherzer's. Uh, in fact, it's the highest of this group that we have here. Of course, he threw a lot fewer. Well, maybe not a lot. 573 to 391. That's not a devastating volume difference, but that's interesting. Now, he needs to get his fastball in check. And he needs to stop throwing so many hittable fastballs. I absolutely believe that fewer strikes, particularly with the fastball, would actually be a, a boon for Bieber. Uh, particularly, uh, you know, if it included more walks. In these hitter counts, he can give in a little bit more. Or, or not give in, rather. Giving in would be throwing a hittable pitch, just throwing something in the zone just to get, get you over, and then it ends up getting hit. So I would say... Not giving in so much is what he needs to do. He had a minus 7.7 fastball pitch value for Shane Bieber, and that was problematic. But that curve, or excuse me, that slider did a lot of damage for him and gave him a money pitch with the slider. Mike Leak, you wonder how he he maintains his fourth, fifth starterdom and uh, always has a run each year. I swear there's always a, a 7 to 10 start run where Mike Leak is a beast. He starts getting picked up in fantasy leagues, and it's like, you know, when's this hot potato going to gonna turn on you? When, you know, who's going to be left holding the bag because it's, he's going to come back to earth because he's just he's not a stud, and that's okay. You can Again, you can make a living out of being a, a quality fourth, fifth starter type, and that's Mike Leak to a T, and it's because he has a great money pitch in that slider at 44% chase, 19% swinging, strike and 45% zone so he he's a lower on the zone threshold there than the other two guys that we've talked about but he gets a lot of swings and misses and it absolutely works for him this next one is one of my most exciting uh developments in this entire list and I'm not surprised by it at all it's it's the reason that I have him so high on my my pitching list by the way I'll have an updated sp list soon um give me a week let's say a week at most before I put out an updated top 100 and it's Jamison Tyone and if you you know speaking of Nick Pollock 
I know he talked with Jamison Tyon on Twitter about this, and that's part of the reason that he is so hyped. We're both so excited about this development. He finally has a reliable third pitch, and it is this beastly slider, and I think it's going to untap more strikeouts and really send him to another level. Now, this year he had a 320 ERA, 118 whip, and 191 innings, so that's a fantastic season. If there's another level there, you're probably like, whoa, come on, Like, what more can you really expect? I, I know, I know, and that's fair to say if he only repeated we i'd be happy i really would but i think there's more and i think it can come with a strikeout per inning and go into the low threes perhaps a sub three era and then a whip that pushes more in the 112 or lower kind of range so i think there's a star turn here for jameson tyone and it's going to be on the heels of that slider and he threw it 552 times and it really took off with a 41 percent chase 15% swing strike and 60% zone rating. So he's able to throw it in the zone so much. That's the highest of the money pitches um, and still get the swings and misses and the chases. What a great pitch. And I wonder if maybe he talked to this next guy a little bit on their slider. Maybe they traded some notes and said, hey, I like what you do here. Do you have a different grip? Do you have a different approach? What are you doing over there, Joe Musgrove, with your slider? He had a 41 19 with his uh, with his slider on 341 thrown, that's a 19% swinging strike. That's very nice. So Joe Musgrove's another guy I really liked coming into the season. I really like what he was doing uh, this year as well. I'm, I'm ready to take the plunge yet again in 19 because I think there's even more to his game. If he can cut out some of those blow-up starts, I think Joe Musgrove even has another level. Another one here that's not surprising at all. It's 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 why he's good. And, and maybe he becomes the next Mike Leake type. And I know that that's not you know, all that thrilling for somebody that some of you guys are really excited about. But Jacob Junis threw 923 sliders and uh, he leans on that pitch. He knows where his where his bread is buttered and he went 41, 18, 46. And it, it, his bottom line numbers aren't going to surprise, aren't going to impress anyone. 437 ERA, 127 whip. But the fact that he did that with a 1-6 homer per nine is actually kind of impressive because he had a bout there where he was giving up homers at, at two per game like crazy. There's still some work to be done around the edges um, to, to maybe get his fastball better. Maybe he needs to go to something like a two-seamer or a cutter or something that isn't just a straight-up uh, four-seamer because whatever was going for his four-seamer this year was not working with a minus 10-8 pitch value. And it really undercut what that slider was able to do. Um, but that is a great pitch for him. And I do think that that's something that's going to sustain him and maybe get him under four with his ERA and, uh, you know, foster a 21 to 23% strikeout rate. And hopefully he can have a good whip. He, he's another guy who doesn't walk very many, but also gives up too many hits. So if he can balance that out a little bit more, maybe he gets below 125 with his whip as well. So that's Jacob Junis riding that money pitch. With that many thrown, that's especially impressive, by the way. None of these other guys, except for, um, no, literally none of them have more than 777. That's the next highest. In fact, only three are over 700, and then a lot of them are in the three to 500 range thrown. In fact, the next two guys both are over 700. That's Dylan Bundy. Yep, despite his god-awful season, he threw a money slider that was uh, really comparable to... Uh, to Scherzer's actually, except for the zone. 
Uh, actually, except for the chase. Sorry, 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 sorry. I was only looking at the swinging strike. That's the only thing that was comparable. The chase and the zone weren't close. But he was at 41 chase, 26 swinging strike, which is excellent, and 47% zone. Scherzer, just to balance it out and show you how wrong I was, was at 48, 26, 57. So 41, 26, 47 to 48, 26, 57. So I was dead wrong on that. But that is still a great pitch. That is that if you want to have hope in Bundy, it's on the heels of that slider. If he can make something around that slider, there is still some viability here. They have a new regime that is forward thinking. If they can tweak some things, there might still be some hope for Bundy. And I think he's he's super cheap in the market this year. It maybe it's time to kind of take Bundy on the uh, on the cheap. Another guy here that we have as a money pitch and a pitch value guy is Miles Michaelis, 777 thrown. He's got a 41 15 49. Kenta Maeda threw 471 and he went 40 25 47. Really good pitch for him. And another one, uh, a guy who this is more Mike Leakish, where he's sustaining himself at the back end of a rotation. Unfortunately, he's being paid like a number one, number two, but that's Jordan Zimmerman. Um, he's, he's keeping his value in check or his, his, faint viability as a major leaguer uh, in check with a slider that he threw 689 times for a 40-16-49 chase, swinging strike, and zone rate trio there. All right, so that's going to do it for sliders. Let's move over to cutters. Now, this is an interesting one to be sure. How many money cutters do we have? We actually have seven money cutters. And there's classification you know sometimes you wonder well is it a slider is it a cutter who knows but i'm just going off the classifications that we have here so just bear that in mind if i if i call out somebody's name and you're like well he didn't throw a cutter i'm I'm just going off of what we got here all right let me take a drink by the way for example at the top you may have been wondering where was Corey kluber on the sliders you know why didn't he make it well because it's classified as a cutter and i love the name that doug thorburn has for it he calls it a slidra to uh identify his slider cutter curveball combo it's just a breaking you know just a breaking ball that he can manipulate in multiple different ways that make him an absolute beast but he had a 16 percent pitch value on his cutter he lapped the field. Next up was Anibal Sanchez at 11.6. Sanchez reinvented himself with this cutter. His fastball just wasn't wasn't cutting it. He was allowing homers at a clip that would uh, that would embarrass Jacob Junis for crying out loud. And you know his career was about done. Injuries were plaguing him as well. And it's like, well, what are you going to do here? Tigers let him go. Twins picked him up. They didn't even give him really much of a shot. They brought him into camp for like five minutes and said no thanks. Braves scooped him. I don't know if they were the ones that said, hey, use this cutter and see what you can do. But he took off, and he had a hell of a season. I actually still kind of like Anibal Sanchez. He's going to be in Washington this year. If he's got some health, that's obviously the key. But your investment is nil. So if he goes back to being unhealthy and not pitching well, you move on very easily. But I like the low investment uh uh, opportunity here with Anibal Sanchez to see if he can kind of uh, stay in line with what he did last year. Now, not a 2.83 ERA again, but give me the 362 FIP that he had as an ERA with a 116, 117 sort of whip and a, nearly a strikeout per inning. I'll take it all day from Anibal Sanchez riding that cutter, and he'll appear again on this list. 
So uh, we'll take a look at that here in just a few moments. Next up is Wade LeBlanc. I was talking about how, um, what's his name, Mike Leake sustained himself for a, a run every year as he regularly does. Well, Wade LeBlanc did his thing this year and actually put together a really nice run. He'd been really relegated to middle relief, long relief for, for quite a while now. He hadn't logged more than 100 innings since 2010. Well, this year he put up 162 innings with a 372 ERA, 118 whip, and it was on the power of his cutter, which he had an 11.3 pitch value with. His former teammate, James Paxton, put up an 8.2. Dallas Keuchel was at 7.2. Jake Arrieta, he, he labored through this year, but he did put up a 5.9, which is good for sixth. Ryan Yarbrough, the, uh, the I, I was going to call him the opening stud, but he's not really the opening stud. He's the benefactor of the opener because he came in in those middle innings and, and nabbed a bunch of wins just pitching solidly on the basis of a 5.7 cutter pitch value. CeCe at uh, CeCe Sabathia at 5.5. Tyler Chatwood, despite his god-awful season, actually put up a top 10 pitch value pitch, and it was his 5.3 cutter. Of course, that doesn't matter when you have a minus 14.2 fastball. Uh, you know, your cutter's kind of mitigated there when, when your fastball is getting absolutely trounced, um, when it's actually hitting the zone, which is very rare in its own right. And then Nathan Eovaldi, talk about another guy who reinvented himself with a cutter, and he obviously reinvented himself to a, to an even higher level than what we saw out of uh, Anibal Sanchez. Now, Sanchez actually had a better year, but he... but. Uh, Eovaldi's a younger guy and he was hitting the free agent market at a time when he could get a nice big deal and he did just that he got a four-year deal from Boston after that great playoff as well and that cutter you know for years he's had the talent and if you've been following my work for any amount of time you know I've been an AD Eovaldi guy going all the way back to the Dodgers just a, just an appealing guy that I was like he's got to get a third pitch that can really push him to the next level well part of that as well that I would always talk about is that his fastball the part of the reason he needed a third pitch was to not have to lean so much on his fastball which was super fast but he was a great example of how velocity does not equal success or quality as far as a fastball goes because his fastball was straight as an arrow it's cool that you can throw 99 and pop that glove and get those little flames on the fox tracker there but it doesn't mean anything if it's straight as narrow because the worst major leaguer is going to club you at 97 to 100 if you're just going to throw it straight down the middle all day they will catch up to it that's why they're in the majors the, the scrubbiest scrub will eventually hit you and that's what was happening and he couldn't get to anything else because all he really had was that slider and he would dabble with the change up here and there and and um, then finally developed a splitter and that actually fostered some success for him then he got hurt and he'd have a curveball here and there as well but nothing really took off until this year got away from the fastball only 40 percent thrown a career low 32 percent on that cutter it's actually uh comes in at 93 on average versus the 97 mile per hour fastball but they don't know which pitch it is until the last second when that cutter is darting to the left so in on lefties and away from righties and that's a big difference there should i stay geared up for the straight as an arrow 97 nope it just took a left turn and it, I, it missed my back completely and so he registered a 5.2 pitch value with that to round out our top 10 that's nathan Eovaldi. now there were only four money pitches on cutters and again maybe it's something that needs to be altered to really show the 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 true greatness of cutters i don't know where nick came up with the thresholds and may like i said he's altering them he already mentioned it on one of his recent pods that he wants to work on on the thresholds so maybe cutter is one that gets an adjustment to add more guys or maybe there were just four money cutters and that's it right that, that's possible too 
Max Scherzer here again with his uh, second money pitch. And he's got uh, 336 thrown with a 48% chase, a 20% swinging strike, and a 52% zone rating. Clay Buckholtz threw 347, and he went 47-19-47. Corey Kluber threw 928. And if you ask me, this is the most impressive because he threw almost as many as the other three guys combined. They threw 1055 because the last guy is James Paxton. I'll get to him in a moment. Um, and he threw 928. So his is more impressive. His is a super money pitch. I think Nick was jokingly calling, and this was back when that was still doing well, but he would call the uh, the Uber money pitches, he called them Bitcoins. If there was ever a Bitcoin, it's Kluber's cutter because not only is he amazing with it for the thresholds, but the volume is off the charts. 43% chase rate, 17% swinging strike rate, and a 51% zone rate. So he's got everything with that uh, slidra. Again, as I love that term that uh, Doug Thorburn came up with because I think that really does include cutters and, and, and sliders and maybe even some of the curves. But um, he does have a distinct curve. Uh, so I think it's at least two pitches, but it's, it's just a devastating breaker that he can manipulate in many ways, and it's absolutely fantastic. And then rounding out our, our money cutters is Corey, uh, excuse me, of James Paxton, threw 372, and he put up a 42% chase, a 23% swinging strike. That's the highest of these four guys, and a 48% zone rating. Going to be interesting to see what he can do out in New York this year. If he can keep the ball in the yard, that's going to be key because, uh, you know, obviously it's a smaller ballpark than what he had in, in Seattle, and hopefully the homers don't uh, – they got to come down, really. If they stay at the same level, that's going to be problematic uh, for him without a doubt. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, Corey Clu excuse me, I keep wanting to say Corey Kluber. James Paxton is our fourth uh, money cutter. Now let's move on to curveballs, and uh, unsurprisingly, we're gonna we're gonna have a repeat here in just a moment. But number one probably won't shock uh, Aaron Nola. Again, you watch one game out of this guy, you're not surprised to hear this. His second top uh, top pitch value, he was he was in the fastball rankings, and he's number one in curve at 23.1. Corey Kluber, number two. There's that slider. The combined, if you add the slider and and curveball pitch values together, it's 37.6 from those two pitches. And that's why despite a weak fastball at minus 6.9, the one instance where 6.9 six, is not great uh, for Kluber there, that's how he can continue to be successful. And that's why the bottom hasn't fallen out. And that I think even with the bad fastball, he can he can make it for a, a softer decline because these the slider is so damn good and really equals about three pitches of excellence and a 21.6 curveball value uh, is there for him. By the way, Nola and Kluber absolutely set themselves apart with their curveballs because the third is AL Cy Young winner Blake Snell at 13.2. By the way, Snell had four positive pitch values, and I'm going to do an, a, a total here in a moment where I add up pitch values, and he's definitely going to make that list, of course. Zach Godley, he had, despite his struggles, he still put up an 11.7 on his mark. Uh, teammate Zach Granke. Put up a 10.6 with his. Charlie Morton, 9.6. My boy, Seth Lugo, really excited about him. think he can at least have a uh, high-volume relief stud season, 
or a swingman season where he can get over 100 innings, say with six to six to eight starts, and then a bunch of longer relief appearances, and just be one of those studs. Not quite to the Josh Hader level, but that sort of guy that just because he doesn't get saves doesn't mean he doesn't have value. He's going to get you a lot of value through uh, more volume than a normal reliever, a lot of strikeouts, and good ratios. I also think he's a worthy starter too. So if they ended up getting some injuries, maybe they could turn to him and let Seth Lugo start because uh, it was not his only positive pitch value. He had 11.9 on his fastball, which was pretty close to the top 10. I think it it was definitely top 20. So he had an 8.8 with his curve, uh, 8.6 for Justin Verlander, 8.5 for Steven Strasburg, and 7.9 for Madison Bumgarner. I'm going to mention number 11 just because it's it's something that at least he's got a little something to work with, and it's... uh, uh, Felix Hernandez at 7.8, but he has a minus 20.4 with his fastball. And uh, you can't really do much there, uh, no matter how damn good your curve is. And his changeup was minus 1.6. That used to be his bread and butter when you have a fastball that's that bad. All right, curveball also is a little light on money pitches. I mentioned this earlier. This is probably something that will get uh, adjusted when Nick does the new thresholds, and maybe I'll rerun the numbers and see where they're at. But Corey Kluber, unsurprisingly, threw 674, and he went 45% on the chase, 20% on the zone, and 46. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. 45% chase, 20% swinging strike, and 46% on the zone. Alex Wood threw 725, and actually carbon copied Kluber, 45, 20, 46. Good stuff from both of them. Obviously, that's what carries Alex Wood is that that nice curveball. And then Blake Snell, the Cy Young winner. I mentioned that he was a third in uh, pitch value, but it was only 13.2 compared to 23 and 21 for Nola and Kluber. But it was a money pitch, whereas Nola's didn't even register as a money pitch. So, you know, I don't know. I should have run the numbers on Nola's, to be honest, because I'd like to see how close it was to money pitch. I'm sure it had a great swinging strike rate and probably a great chase rate. Maybe he just doesn't throw it in the zone as much. But uh, 41% chase, 25% swinging strike, and 41% zone for Blake Snell. What a stud. And that's why he won the Cy Young. All right. Last one here. Actually, I did do a little something for for split fingers, but there's so few that I'm not even going to do a top 10. I'll, I'll run through those real quick. There were three guys who registered a um, who registered a positive pitch value with their split fingers? Kevin Gosman seven point seven, Masahiro Tanaka six point one, and Dylan Covey five point five. Uh, and then there was one money pitch split finger, and it was in fact Tanaka's forty seven percent chase, twenty three percent swinging strike, and forty three percent zone. Uh, so yeah, just to kind of put that off to the side. Some change-ups are split fingers, though, too, and so I think there's a classification issue where we would probably have more guys. Maybe I should have just added those together, but I just I did them separate. Uh, let's go to change-ups and finish it up here. Um, got an interesting group for change-ups. I mentioned somebody who was going to be on for the second time here. First, it's Kyle Hendricks at 16.6, and as much as I like to clown on Kyle Hendricks, primarily because I it just thought it was laughable that MLB put him in their top 10 right now starters last year. That was just an absolute joke. Um, there was no justification for that whatsoever. Damn fine pitcher, though. I like to meme on him and, you know, clown him, but 
he's a damn fine pitcher, and I freely admit that. And uh, the changeup really, really drives that success. Doesn't have a great fastball. I mean, you can say that his fastball is is a changeup, but the fact is he's able to shift gears with uh, with his changeup, which makes that fastball play up a bit because obviously it's very slow. And so um, the fastball is very slow. So when you can kind of still mix things up and, and, and get guys off balance with your changeup, with your tunneling and all that, that's why he's so successful. There was a tie at second with Trevor Richards and the aforementioned Anibal Sanchez. This is his second appearance, 14.8 for both of them. Um, I already talked about Anibal Sanchez. Trevor Richards really drove a strong strikeout rate because of this changeup. Now, his fastball was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum at minus 14.6, and it's really going to limit what he can do unless he can improve that. But if he gets some fastball improvements, I like what maybe uh, what, what he could possibly do as a late round uh, flyer there, Trevor Richards out of Miami. They've got some interesting pitching this year. The problem is that that dev, that division is devastatingly difficult uh, if you're a Marlin because the other four teams are all viable contenders and have quality teams. Even if you don't fully believe in say you know the Mets or whatever, or or you think that the uh, the the Nats aren't quite going to be there because they they're probably going to lose Harper. Even if you believe that, they're still like. 80-something win teams, I believe. So it's going to be really tough on Marlins pitchers, even though they have some intriguing pitching. Uh, Next up, Jacob deGrom making his third appearance here on the pitch value list at 12.8. No wonder he won Cy Young and had such an amazing season. Zach Greinke with his second appearance, 12.2 to go with his uh, 10.6 curveball. 10.9 10.9 for Jordan, or excuse me, for Mike Montgomery, not Jordan Montgomery. I would love to see Jordan Montgomery appear on this list soon, but he's going to be recovering from Tommy John this year, maybe maybe 2020 for him. Max Scherzer with his second appearance at 9.6, and he's going to be on the composite numbers. Spoiler alert. My boy Luis Castillo at 9.0. The changeup drove him, and once he got the fastball back on track in the second half, he surged again. We'll see if he can put it together again, uh, if he can finally put it together this year. I'm not I'm not jumping off that train despite uh, the fact that there is no real discount. I still believe in the talent of Luis Castillo. Trevor Cahill put up an 8.7, and Chris Sale rounds it out on the changeup so at 8.4. So he just missed, you know, he was not just missed, but he was there close-ish. Oh, pardon me on that. I don't even know what that timer's for, to be honest. Um, he didn't just miss on the on the fastball, but he was top 21. In fact, he was 21st on fastball for sale, but then he was on the slider list and on the changeup list. He's obviously a superstar. Uh, I'm not surprised that he made two of the lists. And so that rounds out the the top 10 on changeups. There were several money, money changeups here. Let's go through all seven of them. First, uh, and th- these are listed in order of, chase rate i believe yep it's chase rate uh so first is trevor richards he threw 719 got a 49 percent chase rate oh they chased out of the zone almost every other one of his 719 changeups thrown that changeup is devastating for trevor richards 49 percent chase 26 percent swinging strike rate and 40 percent zone by the way i think chase rate is number swung out of all of the ones that are swung at, the ones that are swung at out of the zone, is that is that it? It can't it can't just be it can't just be half of seven nineteen, is it? Maybe I should know the numbers I'm talking about if I'm gonna talk about them. I'm an idiot. because um, I don't think he had three hundred and sixty chases. That'd be crazy. Anyway, next up is Luis Castillo at forty seven percent chase, twenty seven percent swinging strike, forty six percent zone. 
The aforementioned Cal Hendricks, he was the top on our pitch value. He threw 932 changeups. He went 46-21-41. That's a damn good pitch. So even if you have a changeup-like fastball, if you can still change speeds from that, you will be successful, as he's shown. David Price threw 603 changeups. He went 42, 20, 41 to go with his pitch value top 10 fastball. Mike Montgomery made our list. He was at 309 thrown, 41, 23, 53. So he puts it in the zone a lot, but uh, it's very effective for him. And Chris Sale, 422 thrown, 41, 19, 49. And then Aaron Nola threw 631 changeups, 40% chase, 18% swinging strike, and 44% zone. So that's a that's a composite look there at pitches by pitch value and the money pitch thresholds that Nick Pollock came up with. Uh, I will talk a little bit here. I'll just run through the top 15 in composite pitch value. So I just added up their pitch values here. So they could be carried by one pitch, but most of them are high quality pitchers who had more than one positive pitch in fact i don't think anybody had just one positive pitch so in order we've got jacob de at 57.2 unsurprising in fact he really distanced himself from the field because next up is max scherzer at 45.7 aaron nola at 43 even blake snell at 39.9 chris sale and justin verlander tying at 37.3 Garrett Cole at 34.4, Corey, or excuse me, Patrick Corbin at 33.1, Corey Kluber at 31 flat, uh, Zach Wheeler at 30.0, Miles Michaelis at 28.6, Trevor Bauer didn't make any of the lists, but he was positive on five different pitches, good for a 28.3 mark, Mike Fultonevich, 27.2. Walker Buehler, 26.4, and Jack Flaherty, somebody who didn't make any of the lists or the money pitches, but did have a 21.0 composite pitch value. Guys who just missed include Kyle Freeland at 20.9, Mike Clevenger at 20.4, James Paxton at 19.6, and both Jameson Tyone and Luis Severino at 18 flat. So, you know... I'm sure there are flaws that pitch value has that people would push back on. You know, it's not nothing's a, a end all be all for anything, right? And I would never pretend such, and so I, I don't think you should say such. But if you had reservations on the viability of pitch value, when you add up, when you do the composites, and this is the list you get, that checks out, right? These were these were the most electric pitchers in the league this year. It's not terribly surprising to see them on this list. By the way, some of the guys that we mentioned that were a little bit uh, surprising, they they were just outside the top 20. Uh, what did I say? Was that 20 or 15? Yeah, they, they, were, they were basically within the top 25, and it was Anibal Sanchez, Seth Lugo, Brad Keller, and Trevor Williams. They ranked um, 26, 25, 24, 23. They ranked 23 through 26 in their composite pitch value. So they were kind of interesting there. Um, Clayton Kershaw, despite his struggles, was still in the top 20 at 20. Uh, that was on the weight of the slider, but also had a pretty good curveball. Uh, the, the fastball was a negative this year, and that was that was part of the issue. And then I did this one too, but I don't know that there's anything super valuable to it because uh, it's just kind of a redo of the other list. I was doing average and... Um, you know, average pitch value. The only thing that really jumped out as far as average, and it's super flawed because if you don't throw a, 
a lot of pitches, you can really bounce up. The one guy who bounced up who wasn't in the top 15 for composite was Luis Severino. And that's because he only throws three pitches, and the fastball and slider were still very positive, and the changeup was only minus 2.1. So he had a 6.0 average, um, which put him 12th, whereas his 18.0 for composite was uh, what did i say that was it was tied for 19th so anyway i hope this was valuable um you know again it's not something that just because they threw these this way this year they're going to be guaranteed for 2019 but i do think it uncovers some interesting stuff about different pitches that maybe you can use when you're thinking hey does this guy have an ace pitch that he can go to or does he have kind of you know a composite of of, of three to four solid but not great pitches i, I kind of like leaning on guys who do have an ace pitch or two um, because you know it gives them more margin for error i believe but anyway, let me know what you guys think of this. Maybe we can do a reliever one. I'll definitely talk with Nick about this. Hopefully he listens to the episode. I'd love to hear his thoughts and uh, get some insight on what the new thresholds are going to be when he adjusts them. I will be back this week probably with, with Justin on Friday and maybe with Nick tomorrow. I'll see if he's available. I know it's a short week. It's a weird week with the holidays. But thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all later.